0: Welcome back for another episode here at Crest Talk. We're your hosts, Jamie Kim,
1: Chloe Lee, and Jamie Freitag.
0: At Crest, we believe everyone deserves support. The Crest app provides personalized support that helps you stress less and accomplish more. Hey, everyone. Welcome back for another episode here at Crest Talk. We're so glad you're here. And if you're new, we just wanted to reassure you that we are no longer recording at our studio altogether, and all of your hosts are in their separate homes, and we're actually recording this over an audio call. So anyways, let's get back into today's topic.
2: Before we get into it, um, I want to share a quote from the book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People by Stephen R. Covey. I know we shared this last week too, but this book was just full of so many wonderful quotes and information. Um, This quote was by Aristotle and it states, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not
1: an act, but a habit see i really like that quote because it kind of breaks it down in layman's terms you know the whole physiology behind it and so habits involve your brain's reward system which include the release of dopamine dopamine makes you feel good so each time you engage in a particular habit you get a dopamine release this can lead to changes in the connections between neurons accounting for why we form habits in the first place this can lead to positive reinforcement every time you do your habit because you get addicted to that dopamine release
0: right exactly So that has everything to do with what we're going to go into more today, which is, I know last week we talked about habits of successful people, but today we're going to break into bad habits. What Chloe said, the quote with Aristotle saying, we are what we repeatedly do, excellence then is not an act, but a habit. So obviously there are amazing habits that people have and some of them we shared with you last week, but there are also bad habits that exist and we all have them. And whatever shape or form they come in from. So today we wanted to talk to you guys about some examples of those and what we can do to break them. So Jamie mentioned dopamine and dopamine is something that's released by the brain, but it's not always released. It's actually always inhibited until an active reward happens, which is why we don't feel that feel good sensation all the time. And the purpose of this is, if you want to view it in terms of evolutionary lens, it was to encourage the body and yourself to do beneficial acts. It's a way of telling your body, like, that's good for your survival. So sex for reproduction and eating, they all feel good. So our body becomes hardwired to do it again. So that's why that's very linked into how habits are formed. There is a reason why habits are so hard to break, whether it's good or bad. And there was actually a study done by Johns Hopkins neuroscientists. The researchers asked 20 participants to find red and green objects on a computer screen with a bunch of other different colored objects. And what would happen is if you found a red object, then you would receive $1.50. And if you found a green object, you would receive $0.25. So they did that, and then the next day, they conducted another study but while they were performing the study there were brain scans being done on the participants and this time the researchers asked them to find certain objects on the screen but color had nothing to do with it and there was no reward so this time It didn't matter if it was red or green, and also, even if you did find the said object, you weren't going to get a reward, and the participants knew that, so they knew they weren't going to get any money or anything for it. But when they saw a red object, they became distracted, and they were focused on that because the day before, they were getting that dopamine release from viewing that red object. So the scans show that a particular part of their brain involved with attention filled up with dopamine. So it just shows that our brains are biased to past rewards. And that dopamine release is really what our body craves and it feels good to do it again. So that's how habits form. And that's also why it's really hard to revert and break them.
2: It really shows how habits can even affect our behavior in the future as well. And it kind of reminds me of how important and powerful habits are over our lives because they play such a tremendous role more often than we want to admit honestly and they're so powerful because they're consistent and sometimes even unconscious and it just kind of shows up in our character and behaviors
1: so with all that being said habits are an extremely powerful force in our lives and Like our last episode, you could have good habits, but you could also have some not so good habits. So, um, time put together a list, the most effective ways to kill bad habits. And the first on the list is being aware of your stress level. Um, Stress can be a trigger for your bad habits um, and, you know, falling back on your established routines. So, just try to get more sleep, exercise, and, you know, a lot of the bad habits like nail biting, peeling your nails, overeating are done in stressful environments, like when you're nervous, anxious, or depressed. So just being aware of that and trying to, you know, stop your habits before they happen could, you know, increase your willpower and brain health. And something interesting to kick this off is that a USC study showed that stress, as much as it makes us relapse into bad habits, can actually reinforce good habits. And you know, citing one of those researchers, it was as if they did not have the energy to do something new. So I think that is super important when we realize when you're in a good situation, you can do your bad habits because, you know, it's changing your environment and it's good stress. But also the bad habits that you have can also come out, rear their ugly heads more and more. So you just have to be aware of that.
2: Right. And we also want to point out that lowering your stress level and being aware of your stress level is easier said than done. Um, But when we do lower our stress levels, it helps you clear your head and see what's priority in your life. This kind of reminds me of this TED talk I watched. I think it was titled, How to Triage Your Busy Life. And it was led by an ER doctor who triages every situation to be prepared um, through whatever comes in through those double doors. And she basically shared that with every situation she sees in the emergency room, she labels it as red, green, and yellow. Red is life-threatening. They need immediate attention or else they can lose their life. So this is immediate. Yellow is their life is not in danger, but they need care like ASAP. And green is they can wait. It's not life-threatening and somebody else would, would get them and you don't need to put your attention on them right away. So when she like organizes her stresses in this way, it helps her kind of focus on what matters because I feel like sometimes when we face stressful situations in life, we kind of Uh, we kind of approach them with the same like red level manner. You know what I mean? Like we see them as life threatening or they're going to impact our life in like a big way. When in fact, sometimes it's like a yellow level or a green level. I actually tried this myself after the TED talk because I'm also a highly stressed person and it reminded me that not everything is a code red, you know, like when I do, when I don't do so well on a quiz or uh, when I embarrass myself in front of like a coworker, that's not going to like threaten my life. Yeah. It's stressful, but it's it's like maybe it's like a green, maybe a yellow, but it's definitely not a red. And that really helped a lot with my anxiety.
0: Right. And I feel like stress, honestly, can be such a big trigger for so many different things. And I don't know about you guys, but just to add some personal flair in here, when I'm stressed, I am super guilty of stress eating or eating my emotions, and that happens a lot when I'm studying or up late at night. Again, I don't know if you guys do this, but I will just grab anything and everything, and I'm not even hungry. Mm. It's not that I'm hungry, it's just because I'm looking for something that's stimulation or just some comfort. A lot of people do find comfort in food, and that is what I do, especially junk. And that is because I'm in a stressful environment. Again, like if I received a bad grade, then I'm like, oh, like, what am I going to do? And I just resort to doing nothing. And it kind of, it really does backfire. Stress can really make it backfire. You would think that if you're, you know, stressed with a bad grade, that you would go study more and be more motivated. But that's not what happens a lot of the times. And when I let myself feel so low and I just feel like I just got punched in the gut, then it kind of just snowballs from there. So I guess one of my own stress habits is definitely eating my feelings.
1: Whenever me and Jamie are stressed out before tests, um, we will have like a huge expensive feast. And <laughs> it's funny because the quote that we always say is, what are we celebrating? You know, it's always, it's always before the test, before we like get a good grade or bad grade <laughs> in my case. But um <laughs> Yeah. So I can definitely back her up on that because, and even, you know, when we don't go all out, it's still like, oh, you know, I want something sweet. That's another like great quote ice cream (laughs) from stress. Jamie's is, you know, getting like junk food after dinner and like just going back to the library and like having our little snack, which I mean, in, in excess, it's bad, which I guess we are always stressed. So it is excess, but um, (laughs) like every night, yeah. So just, but you know what, we're aware of it. And so, you know, the next day we'll go to the gym together and we'll work, work off the previous night's meal or something. So. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, yeah. Th-
0: actually the most famous quote is, you're ready for dessert? Like <laughs> after every meal, it's like lunch, <laughs> even breakfast and dinner. Yes. We're like dessert, Jane, dessert. And we'll just <laughs> get up and go back to the eating hall and just look at cookies and cakes and brownies definitely ice cream a lot of the times at night so i feel like we've never had a meal together that didn't involve dessert after Mm -hmm. and we'd always say jamie you always have another stomach for dessert so we encourage each other in that way so um
2: (laughs) but yeah (laughs) but you know what guys like that's a good thing i feel like in a way that's almost stress relieving you know what I mean? Like getting ice cream, like when you're stressed and stuff like that, it's like a little break. And like, we want to emphasize that these things are okay. You're allowed to take breaks. You're allowed to enjoy good food, but everything in moderation.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because I feel like also a big reason is, obviously, if you've been listening for a while now, you know, we're all pretty active. We all like to exercise. And I feel like a big thing for me too, is I enjoy when me and Jamie go to get something, I enjoy the walk that Mm. is incorporated with it, like just getting out of my seat and using my legs for once a day. Like I just enjoy just being able to leave where I'm studying, you know, just getting out of that space, the library, the desk that I've been sitting at for hours and hours. So I feel like that's also a big thing that comes. And sometimes our form of break, sometimes me and Jane will just go for a walk like around campus and come back. And that for me is enough to just release some of my steam.
2: Yeah, and like once in a while, we need that retreat from a stressful environment. We need to physically get out of that space for us to be like relieved and not be there and not think about those things. So I think, you know, taking that walk, even if it's like small things, it's so important.
1: Right. And what goes in part with that is knowing your cues. So we know that our cue is studying in the library. For your cue, it might be, you know, having a bad day at work or something. And to sum it all up is habits have three main parts, a cue, a routine, and a reward. So for in our situation, our cue is, you know, a big test coming up. And our routine is study, 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 and then eat junk food, eat junk food, eat junk food. And the reward (laughs) is like, I guess, you know, obviously the dopamine release you get when you eat fattening stuff. So your cue, if you're, you know, you're a smoker, could be having a smoke break at work. Or if you're a nail biter, um, your cue could be doing homework or deep thinking or just you know, overall you know, not being there in the present moment. If you're an overeater, you can go to your favorite restaurant. That could be your cue to you know, overeat and order more than you should. Alcoholics, passing by your favorite bar, um, that could be your cue. So all in all, it's knowing the triggers and knowing to avoid them. Another habit that I have is nail biting. So kind of when I think no one's looking at me or honestly, sometimes I, I do it because they're too long. I'm more likely to bite them. Um, right. and I guess I guess maybe just reminding myself that A, it's gross, B, people are <laughs> probably looking at you. And um, it's overall like, especially in this climate of, you know, coronavirus, you should not be putting your fingers in your mouth, which It's a hard, it's hard, easier said than done, you know. So when I know my triggers, um, you know, when you're going through big changes in life, like a big move or new job or entry into college, it's actually a prime time to change habits, because you do not have the same cues that you did in your old life. So it's kind of cliche, but definitely like, you know, like new year's resolutions or, you know, this school year, I will, you know, XYZ. I think those are good times to, you know, put in your bad habit breaking and make it a time for change. Right. And this is just something that I found out that I thought was pretty cool. I know they
0: do it a lot for children and little kids for nail biting specifically. Have you guys heard of that polish that they put on their nails? So if you do yes. nail biting, it tastes horrible
1: mm-hmm. and it
0: kind of just, it's kind of like a slap on the wrist. Like don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that just popped into my head. I think that's so great that they created that because nail biting is so common. And some people, I know a lot of people who do it really intensely and they'll also peel. Do you guys know people who like peel the skin around Mm -hmm. their nails, especially before they start bleeding and they know they're bleeding? And I'm like, why are you doing that? And they're just, they're just so nervous. They're stressed. They're not even thinking. They're not even aware that they're doing that until after they're in pain so I just thought it was cool that they had such a product like that so I feel like if you are a nail biter out there there are solutions if you really are motivated and determined to break that bad habit it's like a polish that you put on your nails and once you put your mouth on your nails it tastes really gross so it'll probably make you less likely to even want to do that habit.
2: I actually know a couple people who tried that polish because they saw it at my pharmacy that I work at um I know it worked for some people, right? Because it ta- has a very bitter taste. So since you like coat your whole hands with it, like you don't want to, you want to stay away from it. But I also know some people with really, really strong anxieties who kind of fight through that, you know, like it doesn't even work for them. And I actually did ask, um, like, why, why do you like peel your nails? Like, why do you like, like peel your hands? And I guess like the anxiety level kind of, they feel kind of like a relief from it. This is what my friend told me and this is only one story, but it, it's kind of like a distraction from what they're going through and just something for them to do like physically when their mind is so cluttered. So, you know, there are different solutions for different uh, like everybody. But yeah, the nail polish thing. I know it worked for some, but it doesn't work for others.
1: Right. And I think it's kind of hard for some people to understand like the release factor of it kind of, because it makes no logical sense that biting your nails would, you know, make your stress level less, but it's kind of like such a physical action to do to like, I guess, put your stress out of like the mental realm and put it into the physical realm of biting your nails, which seems mindless. And it, you know, sometimes it is, but just... Uh, it's it's hard to explain the relief that you get sometimes from doing your habits. Yeah, so you don't, might not um, necessarily understand it, but just know that for some people, that's, you know, why they get to do it. Right. And so if you find yourself doing these bad habits and, you know, you don't really know what to do, actually replacing a bad habit with a good one is um, a good alternative. So So if you find yourself doing some of these bad habits and you're trying to quit, just know that completely stopping a bad behavior is so, so hard. So instead, you could try to replace a bad habit with a good one. So when you stop doing something, you should start doing something else because suppressing thought and urges can actually have a rebounding effect on the the behavior. It's kind of like when you tell a little kid, you know, oh, don't touch the outlet. It's kind of makes it like a taboo thing for them, and they want to touch the outlet. You know, if you tell yourself not to do the habit, your brain is being reminded of the habit. And whereas, on the other hand, if you replace it with like a real different action, your brain becomes more interested in doing the new thing.
0: The way that I think about it, I don't know if this is relatable to you all, but let's say nail biting or peeling your skin that's painful and it's not good for you and so you're trying to get rid of it right so I like to think of it as you're just trying to dig it out dig it out of your life your heart your mind and once you dig it out though I feel like there's still a hole left in there and it's really hard you just got to find something else to replace it and this is not Mm -hmm. kind of like it's not even like a quote-unquote easy way out it's just something that I feel like everyone should do because when you get rid of something bad why not like why not replace it with a good one It's always good to have good habits, to find something else to channel your energy through, another way to release your stress and anxiety. So yeah, I like to think of it as, okay, you got rid of it, but now there's this gaping hole. So what can you fill that hole with? What else can you replace in your life to improve how you handle situations or how you feel about certain things? And yeah, that's that's just how I like to look at it.
2: I think for me, instead of focusing so hard on suppressing this bad habit and worrying about not doing the habit, kind of shifting that attention to something that is good for me, something that will benefit me is very crucial. Whenever I think about like reverting a habit or replacing it, you kind of have to stop what your body is accustomed to you have to kind of like break that routine and do something that's quote-unquote unnatural for yourself and that's really hard so kind of transitioning into a different habit or action is a very good idea and very practical
1: and so i think sometimes you know good replacements could be if you feel the urge to bite your nails (laughs) i know it's it sounds like so like primitive but having you know a hair tie on your wrist and then playing with that or something Um, not necessarily, I know like the cliche is like snapping it against your wrist, but you don't, you don't have to do that. As long as you get your hands busy with something else. Like I know that I have like this like Fitbit watch that I just love like swiping the screen. It's so like, it's so dumb, but, um, (laughs) it definitely can like take your mind off of your urge to bite your nails or, you know, do whatever your bad habit is. And in the, you know, the, maybe the more serious habits like addiction or, you know, other kind of compulsive things there are always you know outlets of people that are going through what you're going through and they can definitely have some more insight as to what they replace their uh, desires with um to you know help better them get, get away from that habit yeah and we also want to give everyone
2: a reminder that this phase of breaking the habit and like replacing and transitioning is not forever but it's very temporary It might be like a couple months, it might even take a couple years, but it's temporary. So I just want to encourage everyone to continue and keep going to reshape this bad habit and eventually turn it into a good one. For me, when I was, I mean, I still kind of do, but I used to have a really, really bad social media addiction where I was just constantly scrolling. I remember this one time I looked at my, you know, the averaged hours, like the time that I spent on my lap, on my phone, they kind of give you like an average time at the end of the weekend. It was like eight hours. And I just thought to myself, wow, I have an actual addiction to my phone. And I was just on Instagram. So I decided to, every time I wanted to go on my phone and scroll through Instagram, decided to pick up a book or go through my school notes because that was just so much better for me. And it was actually helping me become a better person. And of course, in the beginning it was so hard because it's so much easier to pick up your phone and look at things that are like pleasing to your eye than to look at things that are like hard, like schoolwork, education. But eventually over time, I was able to less, like, decrease the amount of time I spent on my phone and increase the amount of study that I can do during that time. Like, imagine what you can do in eight hours of your day that I just spent scrolling. Right. And yeah, so we just want to say that this is a gradual process and you will get there, but take it, you know, one step at a time.
0: Right. And the feature that you mentioned, it's actually called screen time. It can be on your iPads or your phone. (laughs) And I had the same exact reaction. I feel like sometimes you just need to see it as hard data to realize how much time you're spending on your phone. It really shocked me and what I like about that feature though is after I realized that and I was obviously speechless and I tried to decrease and be more mindful, it actually will tell you like, oh, you're an hour below average. So it's also kind of encouraging and it shows that you can do it and it's just crazy how minutes add up and especially not even the phone but Instagram or any social media, my finger just goes for it, like muscle memory. And I don't even know why I'm there. Sometimes it's like as soon as I open up my phone, that's what I do, or I'll check my email. I just think it's something that I've realized. I watch a lot of videos on, you know, like morning routines of celebrities or influencers or anyone, like these people that I look up to. And a lot of them say that as soon as they wake up, they try not to touch their phone for 30 minutes. And I thought that was such a good idea, like just to start your day without having to look at your phone. And I've been trying to do that, and it's extremely difficult, and no, I did not succeed at all. But it's crazy to see how people are starting to see that the start of your day can be so much more, I don't know, I feel like it was more refreshing for me. Even if I was able to last 10 minutes, I just felt like it was good not to have my eyes burning through watching the
1: screen all the time. Well, you guys are better people than me because when that feature came out on, I guess, like an update or something, Um, I thought it was cool for the first couple days and then I completely turned it off on my phone because it was just (laughs) so horrible. So now for me, it's like out of sight, out of mind, um, which I'm realizing is bad because apparently you guys have that on your phone. Um, but yeah, I think it was more just like the realization, like, oh my goodness, I'm spending hours and hours a day. And then it gives you the breakdown, which is the worst. Yeah. The breakdown is like, you know, oh my God, like an hour on Sudoku or something. And you're like, (laughs) I and you just get so frustrated with yourself. But you know what? Now that I'm, (laughs) now that I'm a little bit older, I think um, I can really do some introspection and turn it back on. So yeah. This is kind of like a random fact,
2: but like when you look at your pinky, sometimes there's like a dent. I think I saw this on like Facebook or something and it's because you hold your phone for so long that there's like almost a permanent dent in your pinky. Right. Mm. Yeah. I just, it just amazed. It's just like amazed me because I was like, wow, like it physically shaped my bone because I was holding my phone this way for so long.
0: No, I actually do stare at that daily. Yeah. Um, I watch, I watch my skin just like sink in, but it's it's really, yeah, it's really a mark. It's just the weight of like how you hold your phone. And I don't know why, like I don't it's not like I do anything to stop it. I'll just stare at it and be like, oh wow, and then go back to what I'm doing. But with the with my addiction to social media, I don't even really enjoy like being on it. But again, muscle memory. So what I do, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to get rid of this habit, but for me, I actually hide the app itself, whatever it is. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and I'll just put it into a folder so it's not visually accessible. Mm-hmm. So that it's like a like like I don't really see it so I can't really reach for it cuz then nothing's there and B it's kind of more work for me to like dig through a random folder to find it and that also shows that I really didn't have to go on in that moment. Yeah. I was only going on because mm-hmm. it was there it was right in front of me and I just took the bait. So removing it like out of sight out of mind like Jamie said that has actually really helped me.
2: I did that and it didn't work for me because I kept going back on it. So I did the next thing, I set a screen time for each app. You can actually put like a limit, like two hours a day on each app. So I did that, but I ended up ignoring it and doing like five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes. And that didn't work either. But right now, what I'm trying to do is I put all those apps into one folder and I put it kind of on the next page where it's like blank. So when I open my phone, I don't see it right away. Yeah. Like, it's on the next page. So for me, that kind of helped. So for those of you listening, you can maybe try that, kind of put it, like, away where you can't see it. Exactly.
0: And specifically, since we're talking about replacing bad habits with good ones, like you said that actually didn't always work for me, putting it into another folder, hiding it, taking it out of my sight. Like it did, it really did work for me a lot, but it wasn't enough to sustain it. And it was still like a struggle that I had. So I tried to replace um, and kind of actually like physically change my schedule, like how I mentioned with before the videos I saw of um, influencers and celebrities. And instead of going on my phone, what I would do is turn on some music or listen to a podcast so I can just leave it on and not like look at my phone because also my eyes start to hurt. I'm getting old. I could just feel the burn really badly. And it's not good for your eyes either. All that blue light. So I know a podcast is still like quote unquote on your phone, but I like that I could just turn it on, leave it on just to kind of keep me company. And I will actually force myself to get out of bed and get ready so that I'm not rolling around and wanting to do something while I'm rolling around and end up in bed an hour later than I'm supposed to. So I guess trying to physically add in activities throughout the day in, instead of just rolling around in bed has really also helped me. So that's how I've been trying to replace the bad habits with good ones in that way.
1: That's interesting because I also heard that um, first people trying to quit smoking, that instead of going out for your cigarette, you can actually like in your chair at work or, you know, wherever you are, do like breathing exercises. Like I think it's like breathe in for eight, like hold for seven, breathe out for eight. And apparently like <laughs> that replaces, um, I guess your physiological need to like take a drag of the cigarette or something. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it actually works, but that's just something that maybe you could try to replace it with. Right. It doesn't even have to be anything drastic. You know, it doesn't even have to make sense
0: as long as you're keeping your body busy. Because a lot of these times, again, you're just trying to find that physical release, that emotional tension that you have, and you're just trying to do something about it. So. I think whatever works, I don't care if it makes sense or not. I feel like if that works for you, then 100% just keep doing it and keep practicing that. Because also breathing exercises are generally good for you. A lot of people don't realize how fast their heart is racing when they're under stress or they're thinking about something. Turning on some calming music because I know that there's actually a lot of research done that when you listen to music and it starts slowing down, slow down rhythm can actually slow down your heart rate as well and even doing breathing exercises when you breathe out and you hold your breath you're forcing your heart to calm down a little bit and then you release again so in general breathing exercises are really good for you it can be really good for clearing the mind or for whatever bad habit you have whether it's smoking or anything i think just just doing it just doing something about your bad habit is such a big accomplishment in and of itself
1: right and you know to kind of switch gears a little bit having a better reason for quitting than being comfortable with a bad habit um, is so important so when you think of you know smoking or you think of the junk food or alcohol or whatever it is it's hard to replace the the physiological sensation you get with certain types of addictions with (laughs) breathing exercises or you know other types of drinks or anything so your brain will not have the same intense reaction to say you know water rather than alcohol and this is where your motivation needs to come through in order to really push yourself over that hump because it's just so important for some of these behaviors to stop because um, when you think about it giving up some of these bad habits can give you more years with your family better health outcomes and more energy for doing activities that you weren't originally capable of doing and i think once you kind of get in that zone of better health, decrease bad habit, you know, whatever it is. I think that could be your motivation to keep going. You definitely need a very strong reason or motivation to change
2: a habit or break a habit. Because I think sometimes we see like these inspirational quotes or videos and we receive temporary motivation from it and we get all hyped up. But because that's not personal to us, we don't have a connection with that motivation, we end up just not doing it. And I think a key to kind of staying consistent, consistent is to make it personal to you. Um, really think about why you want to change, why you want to break this habit, how it's going to impact you, how it's going to impact others, and, you know, go from there. Because without that strong foundation, I feel like it's going to be so easy for you to crumble at the site of very small temptations. You're just going to fall.
0: And again, with motivation, I feel like a lot of us feel more motivated or are more determined when you have set specific goals. And I think that's a big part in recovering or finding healing from something or trying to break a bad habit to have really tangible goals. You don't want to set unrealistic goals because that can actually backfire and actually become very discouraging in a way. So it can be small things like today instead of eating chips i'll eat fruit or instead of going out today and eating mcdonald's i'll cook for myself at home and that could just be for one meal of that day just one step at a time i feel like it also when you feel, when you know that you've accomplished a small goal that makes you feel good no matter how small it is like that's for me too sometimes when i accomplish doing the laundry or folding all of it. I feel good about myself. I'm like, yes, at least I got that done. It's something that you can physically check off your list. So I think setting goals, but not only goals, realistic and small, specific goals, I think that's a really good way to encourage yourself, especially when times get hard and be like, well, look, I did, it can add up. I did all these 10 things this week. It could be five. And because like habits are personal
1: to you, I feel like it just has much more value. Right. And I think in setting goals, it's definitely important to, you know, imagining yourself doing that bad habit, what caused it, what your trigger was, and what you think it will take to break that habit. And something I just thought of, I can't believe I haven't brought this up before, it's caffeine. (laughs) So for me, it's kind of like a knee jerk reaction. Like I know every day after this class that I'll go to Dunkin Donuts and get a large iced coffee. Why? Um, I'm not really considering what I'm putting into my body, caffeine wise and also like sugar wise. And it's it's just kind of so built into my routine that I don't even notice the effects of the caffeine anymore. Or it's just kind of like a crutch, I guess, like it's like something for me to do throughout my day. Um, so I think it's definitely easier to realize that when you c- can pinpoint those activities. Like I, I didn't even think about caffeine one until now, and then imagining like what you can do to change it. So I guess for me to change it, it could be like maybe drinking coconut water or a special other drink other than water. For, for Then that'll be like my treat for the day, other than large iced coffee from Dunkin' Donuts.
0: Yeah, she's not lying, everyone. We actually had class in two different buildings last semester and we end at the same time and we, I'll be walking towards the library and she's, I see Jamie walking across campus and I'm like, hey, and she's like... <laughs> She's wanna like, go to Duncan. Yeah, wanna go to? I'm like, where are you going? And she's like, Duncan, two dollar <laughs> latte. Every, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm like, oh my god. So every single class, every time that class ends, I see Jamie. I can see the backpack. I can see her glasses, <laughs> and she's just speed walking across campus <laughs> towards Duncan. So she's not kidding, guys. It's. I'm like, thinking. <laughs> yeah, she's like, want I go to Duncan? And some days I'm like, no. And she's like, oh man. And she keeps like that doesn't stop her. She just keeps going. <laughs> And go meet me later with her <laughs> humongous coffee and then complain that she's peeing every two minutes and <laughs> has cramps so it's crazy because once you bring that up I'm just getting all these flashbacks of every single day that you are walking with a purpose yeah. you have a golden Find yeah. of where you want to get to go <laughs>
2: That's so funny. I think a lot of students, especially most of us, have a caffeine addiction because we're just up all night studying and we're just trying to get through the day. Um, I remember, like, towards the beginning of uh, my semesters, I was spending so much money on caffeine, like coffee and tea. I decided to like quit, just like go rogue, just quit. So that process of like getting coffee every morning from Dunkin' or Starbucks to like drinking water in the morning that was so tough for me, and I was like, wow, this was an actual addiction. Mm -hmm. And, like, I have to, like, stop myself from, like, walking over to that building to get coffee. And, like, yeah, it was crazy.
0: Right, and some people become so dependent on it. Like, they get huge headaches when they take a break, and they cannot keep their eyes open. So, it just shows that their bodies physically became so Mm -hmm. dependent on that drink that costed, like, $4 for a small cup. So, I think also what helps people, though, is when they think about how much money they're spending on it. I know a lot of people take into account that, so... Sometimes I know some friends who quit because or at least they try to cut back because they'll actually add up how much they spent that week on coffee and they realize that was a lot of money. So I think that's also one way if you're really desperate. I feel like there's so many different ways to convince yourself to not just stop, but if you want just even to cut back a little bit.
1: Yeah, right. And I think, you know, going off of that, some tangible things that you can do is noting things like where does the habit occur? what time of day does it happen? You know, How do I feel when it happens? How do I feel after I drink that large iced coffee? Does it happen right after something else? And answering those questions can more help you identify your problem and, and how to fix it. And those questions, honestly, if you asked me that, I would have to
0: get back to you after a week or so because you yeah. don't realize those things. It's, those, it's just one of those questions that people ask you and you're like, hmm, I actually don't know. So I think also the big step, the first big step is realizing that you have developed a habit that's not so beneficial or that you can completely live without. Again, just paying attention to yourself. If you need to take a few weeks to even pay attention and record your habits and like how your routine goes and your schedule, I think that's a really big thing. Because once you target um, what triggers it and what environment you're in and how you're feeling, I feel like that's such a big step into, because then you actually have a plan of action it's not like oh maybe i'll try this and you're like trying out and testing different variables taking away things adding things in and you can really know i feel like it's just more efficient
1: right and i think it's important for everyone to realize that everyone has a bad habit that they want to break um so you don't have to go through it alone like it might be easier if you have a friend that's able to hold you accountable for your progress just as you hold them accountable for their progress so that could be definitely something else that could motivate you to stop absolutely And I think that also ties
0: into your motivation. It can really help set a bet. I know a lot of people who struggle with overeating or overall just not being as fit or as active as they wanted to be. So they formed a group and a group chat and they committed a specific amount of days for the gym per week. And they would send pictures of themselves at the gym as proof. And if you missed the gym that day, you would have to contribute a small amount of money. And at the end of the journey... They would use whatever money was collected from everyone and use it to contribute to going out or having a drink or having a nice meal together. So money's involved. Obviously, it's just a game, but it's something just to give an incentive and motivate you. And I feel like it's also less lonely and you just know that people are struggling in the same exact way as you because they understand where you're coming from. So you can even make it into like a fun game, a nice competition, because at the end of the day, it is going to better your
2: lifestyle. Don't underestimate the power of accountability. And just remember that there's always someone out there who will understand what you're going through, who is on that road with you. And just don't be afraid to reach out. I know we talk about this in um, a lot of our previous podcasts, but seriously, finding that group of people, that community is so crucial for your mental health. And it will definitely help you with setting and accomplishing your goals.
1: Yeah, so something that I find helpful is and more in terms of, um, I guess, long-term goals, like not necessarily like biting my nails, but more like studying or, you know, other kind of like like longer things that I'm doing. For me, it's, it's when I really want to buy something, like say it's a new pair of shoes or like another high-end item or something, I'll tell myself that if I can make it like 10 days straight without doing the habit or, you know, however many days, um, or if I get above a 90 on this test... I'll splurge, you know, giving myself a reward for my own habit breaking and holding myself accountable. So it's kind of fun in a way to kind of play a game with yourself if you're too embarrassed to reach out to your friends or anything. Yeah, so that definitely I feel like motivates me a lot personally. You can really just take matters into your own hands. I feel like a lot of
0: people don't give themselves the credit they deserve. You're so, you have so much power over your actions. And if you want to change something and you have the right amount of motivation and you're determined, and you can make it happen. I know last episode, we really talked and emphasized a lot about the good habits that successful figures practice a lot. But since we're talking about bad habits, we thought it would be cool to mention some habits that successful people avoid. And the first one, the biggest one, I feel like when I've been researching this and learning about this is being a perfectionist. That's what they avoid. Perfectionism is interesting because it's commonly or I know a lot of people don't really view it as a bad habit because they're like well if you're a perfectionist then it must increase your chances of success because you know you're going to want everything perfect and spotless but it's actually something it's actually a bad habit and these types of people if that if that's what you struggle with and this is what I struggle with too so I'm talking to myself we don't accept mistakes well and when something doesn't go our way or just right in general it's a huge deal breaker with yourself and you're just so devastated and in a way this also leads to procrastination because if you think about it i'm a, I'm a perfectionist so when i know that i cannot do a task well if i can't nail it then i don't really want to do it i don't want to touch it i'm afraid of ruining my track record a lot of perfectionists might even just go the easy way out because they know they can make it perfect every single time so it does decrease the amount of risk you take, which is important because you should always be able to have that open mindset. And it's really, it really does hold you back in a lot of times. So I do hear that a lot of successful people avoid being a perfectionist because they are learning that there are going to be 100,000 prototypes, rejections, failures, drafts. They know that there's there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road. So it really holds them back from being able to move forward
2: with their company or whatever they're trying to build. I think these days, especially you know, in this generation when everybody's so busy, always wanting to produce, 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 being a perfectionist is often seen in a good light because it can, you know, it can mean that you're hardworking, but true perfectionism is actually the fear of doing something badly, first drafts, do-overs, getting rejected, like those should become normal.
1: I'm kind of cringing talking about this because i remember um on, uh, like my first ever like professional interview when i was in high school they asked me what is your biggest weakness and me thinking that they wanted to hear this i was like oh you know i'm a perfectionist i'm so hard on myself like now looking back like i <laughs> i wish i did not say that because it really is like a serious thing um i don't necessarily struggle with it now but i should have just been honest with them and like said you know whatever i felt in the moment but you know to kind of hold up perfectionism as like the best bad habit to have is wrong you know I feel like
0: it takes away from the fact that success comes with a lot of failure at first and sometimes things get worse before they get better being a perfectionist myself it's really frustrating and it's also really exhausting emotionally and physically like sometimes I just get so tired because I'm so hung up on one thing and then you forget that there's a hundred other things you have to worry about. So it can also take away from being able to multitask and being able to, I think this is also why I get so stressed when I have so many things on my plate, because I want to be able to attack every single thing, like in my own way, perfectly, delicately, but I can't all the time. So that's also why I put off a lot of things like going to the gym. i like, no, I can't. I have to perfect this first.
2: But yeah, I'm just speaking from my own experience. Sometimes I think back to when I was in high school, when I was younger and all the missed opportunities because of my perfectionism. You know, like, why didn't I try out? Why didn't I try out again? Like, why didn't I go for that role? Or why didn't I share that with my teachers? And it was because I was afraid of messing up at the end or looking stupid and failing.
1: Right. And so maybe to kind of pivot a little bit, um, another bad habit that successful people avoid is being distracted. So successful people, we kind of touched on this um, last episode, know the value of time. So Mm -hmm. not getting distracted with unhelpful things and, you know, being in the moment, doing what your uh, present task is and, you know, not worrying about what you're going to eat for dinner, other unhelpful things that, that not necessarily need your attention in the moment.
0: I feel like when we think of distraction, we think of our phones. Yeah. Um, Emails, text messages, social media. What I personally do, like this is a huge one too. I've studied with everyone here before. You know me, sometimes I will sit and just stare at my phone and go through that and waste time. What I actually do is I put my phone on airplane mode. I know you could do do not disturb, but for some reason, I just don't even want it to physically come to my phone. I don't know. I just think it's easier for me. Um, Like, I don't even want to see it pop up. I don't want to see my phone light up. So I'll just do airplane mode. It might seem extreme, but that's definitely a measure that I'm willing to take when I'm studying or doing something important.
2: I think a lot of this has to do with self discipline too, because we have to learn to um, focus and stay focused for a specific period of time. This applies to me when I'm like studying, and it's something that I had to really like. Force myself to do. Every time my mind wandered, every time I wanted to get up, I had to remind myself, like, do not get distracted. Let's do this for another 30 minutes before you can go and get a snack or something. And that took a lot of self-discipline.
0: Right. And to be completely honest with everyone here, um, I am also guilty of getting really frustrated with myself and sometimes, do you guys ever reach a limit where you're on your phone and you feel like you're just going to burst and you're like, this is so bad. Enough is enough. Yeah. What I do, like, yeah. I've really taken my phone like several times and I just like chuck it across the room. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever it lands, it lands. Like, that's not my issue. It gets there when it gets there. And I just get so mad. I just, I don't throw it like, for the anger part of it, but I just throw it to get it physically away from me. Or I'll even put it in a different room or like a different
1: floor of my house and god knows i'm too lazy to get that and jamie i really like what you said about the notifications thing because 99.9 percent of the time it is complete crap like that just will take you know your mind off of what your current task is unless it's my mom it's probably nothing and it's probably something that could wait until i'm done with my task and so you're a strong person for putting it on airplane mode but i'm definitely a big advocate for do not disturb when you're trying to get stuff done yeah successful people
2: really know the value of time and they know what's important and they're not going to let anything get in the way of getting there which is such a strong quality and so essential for success and so like even checking your phone across the room uh, if that works for you do it and you know do whatever it takes so that you get the task done
0: yeah, I'm definitely just the weird one here. I don't know why I do that. And I don't know why I put it on airplane no. mode like
2: <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> that's a little excessive.
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's just I don't know. I don't know why I do that. But anyways, to move on, um another thing that we just touched upon that successful people avoid is not keeping goals for yourself and they make things happen. That's obviously how they got to where they are. They didn't just, you know, let the river flow. They had a goal in mind. And again, it's tangible, it's accessible, it's something that they can really work towards. So I feel like knowing where you wanna go can really push you. So it's, if you ever feel like you struggle with being unproductive or you're just sitting around being a couch potato and you know that about yourself and you feel like you're not really doing anything, then try to find things that you're passionate about and find things that you care
2: about and then try to create goals from there. Yeah um actually this reminds me of this TED talk that I watched it was um it was titled like keep goals to yourself or something and it was basically about like keeping goals to yourself after you expose those goals you know what you want keep them to yourself because he was saying the speaker was talking about how if you broadcast your plans it can actually be counterproductive because it's like a psycho it's like a psychology thing but people will applaud you for your goals whatever that is, and for some reason, we, it kind of satisfies us and we feel like that's enough. And so he kind of mentioned this study with a bunch of psychologists and they call this a social reality where like the mind is kind of tricked into the feeling that whatever your goal was, it's done because people already satisfied you. Like their reaction made you feel like you already did it. So you're less motivated to do the actual work, which I thought was like fascinating, but I can see that happening
1: right and it kind of brings me to the point like your vibe attracts your tribe i love i love saying that because sometimes you can be spending time with the wrong people that you know will applaud you. not necessarily the wrong people but just people that applaud you for your goals and you know not necessarily your accomplishments that you've done before and you know successful people surround themselves with intelligent and mindful people because they know that they can learn from them and have a lot of things in common so i think you know when you put it into into the world that, you know, I want to become a PA and I'm doing X, Y, Z to do it. It's kind of like tricking your brain into maybe believing that you've already done it. <laughs> That's just mm-hmm. in my case. And sometimes you kind of need people to be like, all right, Jane, like slow down. Like, you know, you're still, you didn't even start your didactic year yet. Or, you know, you didn't even take your first PA exam, you know? So it's, it's nice to surround yourself with people that can bring out your best attributes And, you know, staying away from the people that can bring out your worst. Right. Like that, um, that statement, your
2: vibe attracts your tribe. You can kind of see it in like society too. When you see someone, you can kind of get a feel of what, who that person is and what kind of stuff they like by their friends, like who they choose to hang out with. And this is because when we're in like a social circle, we kind of feed off each other's energy. For example, if your goal is to, I don't know, like work out and be healthier, then you should be surrounding yourself with people who like working out too, who like eating healthy too. If you're constantly with people who are like going out to eat junk food at midnight, going, you know, not exercising, um, constantly craving sugar, you're not, it's going to be very difficult for you to achieve that goal.
1: And, you know, kind of switching gears a bit from this is um, another habit of being a reactive person. So Uh, We kind of talked about this last time, um, you know, proactive people versus reactive people. Reactive people are affected by their physical environment. So kind of like if it's a nice day outside, I feel good. I feel productive and everything. Whereas proactive people, you know, carry their own weather. So rain or shine, they have the same productivity. It doesn't make a difference because they're value driven. So, you know, if your values are to produce good quality work, then it isn't a function of the, you know, whether the weather is contributing it to it or not or your boss is contributing it or not or your coworkers, you know whatever um so I think it's better to be a really like a proactive person and you know maintaining your same values throughout whatever situation you're in. Yeah and this whole thing about
2: being a proactive person or reactive person is from the book Seven Habits of Highly Successful People by Stephen R. Covey. We love this book and I just thought it was so interesting about how reactive people allow the outside environment to control you and kind of determine how you're going to feel for the rest of your day while proactive people don't let that happen you know you can you are in control of your own emotions so that it's not like an outside thing but it's really like an inside thing also reactive people are affected by social environment and this is when people if someone treats you well you feel well and when they treat you like not well Then you become defensive or protective. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes my day—I have to be honest—is affected by what other people say to me. Like, if I have a rude customer at work, or um, I had a bad experience with a classmate in school, it sometimes affects my entire day. And this is something that I'm constantly working on. But this book is helping me see that if you're a proactive person, you have—you don't do that as much. You know, you don't let what that person said to you affect you because you know the truth.
0: Right. And I feel like I never, I feel like I knew, I didn't know that there was a label for this type of behavior because this is what I do a lot as well. So I guess I am a reactive person and that's something that definitely I should work on in the future. I really do let my environment or whatnot really take over me if it's raining and it's cloudy. I'm already done for the day. Like I'm tired. I'm yawning more than usual and I'm just exhausted having to walk on campus with the rain, and I never bring an umbrella because I guess I love testing my luck, but all that stuff just gets to me. And I just, I know for a fact that on those days, I'm not as motivated. And it even happens in the Mm -hmm. classroom. Sometimes I'm able to grasp topics so easily and others not. Like, that's an everyday thing and that's normal. But on days where the material is harder or I just can't really understand it as quickly, that also ruins my day. Like, it's the little things. And I never knew that there was such a term to describe this type of behavior, you know? So I guess it's kind of cool to see that it does exist and it's not just me. And I feel like it's way more common than I thought.
2: Yeah. When I read this book, it made me think about all those days that I blamed my bad mood on the weather. I remember when I was in high school, like choosing colleges to go to, I stayed away from the places with cloudy weather because I was like, you know what, if I go to these places, I'm going to be constantly moody. I'm going to be constantly sad and depressed. And now that I think about it, maybe it wasn't the weather, but it was more of like an internal issue. It was like me you know, me being a reactive person rather than a being a proactive person.
0: And it's definitely easier said than done. And that's also, yeah. just, I feel like it's another great journey that everyone can take to just self-reflect and inspect yourself and inspect your behaviors and your patterns and your moodiness, if you have mood swings or not, because sometimes I go through that and I don't even realize what kind of environment is causing that for me. So I think it's just, I think it's a really beneficial thing for everyone just to, check themselves for.
1: Definitely. And I think, you know, the people that are affected by the weather, their social environment can be pessimistic and, you know, dwelling on their failures when their social environment isn't necessarily the best. Um, So successful people don't have to necessarily dwell on the negative. They can seek different solutions to the roadblocks that they're having and make the best out of the situation. So, you know, this is not to say that you're not allowed to have a bad day or you can't let a rainy day affect you once in a while, you know it's pretty much just overall in general, having your values stay the same and, you know, being optimistic no matter what, not dwelling on your failures, looking forward to your day ahead and thinking about your accomplishments that you have done. And, you know, just keeping an overall good mindset is, is definitely a good thing to do.
0: Right. And this makes me think about something that Jamie knows I struggle with a lot, which is in terms of dwelling on failures whenever we get something wrong on an exam that i shouldn't have gotten wrong or i was just being an idiot and i wasn't thinking straight and it's so hard to not dwell on that it's so hard not to beat yourself up and be like you could have gotten this question if you were just thinking straight thinking clearly if you just remember this fact that you know you memorized and jamie would always be like it is what it is and you can't go back so and I would literally just talk to her about it. I'd be like, Jamie, how are you moving on from this? It was such a stupid mistake of mine. And I realized, and it's okay, obviously, to learn from your failures. But I know for myself that it was bad for me because I was letting it ruin my whole day. I was letting it get to me. And it was inhibiting me from moving on and looking forward to working harder for the next exam or whatever was coming up. So that was that's something that I struggle with here and there. But I've definitely gotten better at it by realizing that you can only learn from it and it's really not the best to have it ingrained in your brain all the time with
1: whatever you're doing. Right? And my favorite, I guess, quote that I say to you is, "Oh, I should have just got all the questions on the test right." You know? So it's it's kind of ridiculous to put yourself in those shoes saying like, "Oh, I can't believe I made that dumb mistake. I can't believe that. I didn't write the right answer or something, but it's just, it's so ridiculous to have that mindset as in like, oh, as I should have just got every question right. So I think it's important to step back from that and realize that obviously, obviously you're going to make mistakes on tests, whether intentional, you know, non-intentional. I mean, I shouldn't say intentional, you know, accidental or something that you just didn't study, but it's, (laughs) it's definitely not fair to yourself to just harpoon yourself uh, over a bad grade or something.
2: I think sometimes when we're pessimistic we're just so hard on ourselves it was a mistake but you know we sometimes react as if like our whole life is ruined and you know like like you said we have to take a step back and kind of like step out of our own bubble and kind of see your whole life as a whole and I think that's just really hard to do in the moment because especially things like school studying your job um, it's hard not to be so pessimistic about these things because we care about it so much. You know, this is our life. Yeah, I think sometimes we need to kind of readjust our perspective and know that this is only one aspect of our lives.
0: Yeah, 100%. And in terms of, you know, while we're talking about learning from our mistakes and whatnot, another big habit that successful people avoid is not being curious. So they're always actively trying to be curious and trying to go out of their fortes or whatever they're best at and always willing to learn. I think for a lot of people it's scary to dive into something that you know you're not good at or you know nothing about. That's also scary for me. Like I don't want to go outside of my range. I'm always like, oh that's not my thing. I don't do that. I just like brush it off when people ask me about it. I'm like, oh that's that's not me. But I think it's so important to be open-minded, and these successful people, we did touch on this again. I think this really goes like hand-in-hand hand with the other episode that we just did, is that they, they realize that there's no limit to learning, and that's why they read so many books. They do a lot of research. They're constantly surrounding themselves with knowledge, and I think that's a big step to realizing that you really can't stop learning. And I think for me personally, as I get older, I'm really valuing the importance of wisdom and just being aware of everything else outside of what I'm
1: good or comfortable at. Right and you know something that I just thought of is have you ever gone out on a limb on something that you weren't necessarily too comfortable with and extremely regretted it? For me that answer is no. I think Some of my best experiences, you know, I remember, I guess it was like two weeks ago, my friend asked me, she's like, Oh, you want to go kayaking? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, I'm not strong at all. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drown or something, but it ended up being so much fun. And like, now we kind of made it into like a weekly thing. So that's just something that (laughs) I went out on a limb on and I'm really happy that um, I did. Yeah, that's actually so true. There are so many times when
2: my introvert side comes out and when I'm invited to like a school event or a social gathering, I just, I honestly just don't want to go. Sometimes I don't even care, but I force myself to get up, you know, get ready and go and meet all these wonderful people. And I have amazing conversations with them and I end up loving it. And I end up learning and absorbing and meeting new people that kind of further me in my own personal life too. So I think as a successful person, being curious is such a huge thing to have, kind of taking advantage of all the information that you're absorbing.
1: Right. And um, kind of maybe in the same vein a little bit is giving up. So when you are out on a limb, you're feeling worn down, burnout. Do not give up. It ob- it sounds so obvious, but it's just so key because many people give up on good habits that they want to have, and not realizing that giving up that good habit inadvertently is making a bad habit. So, in my opinion, success, um, you know, whatever that is in your definition, you know, never came from not trying, fear of failure, or oh, I can't, you know, maintain a healthy lifestyle. I can't fill in the blank. That's such a toxic mindset to have and to give up on your progress that you already made or you want to make is just, it's really a bad thing.
2: Sometimes it feels like giving up is the easier, painless option, but we must get over this fear in order to be successful. Because with fear, with getting over our fear comes opens so many opportunities for us that we would have never expected. And I think that when you don't try because you're afraid to fail, it's, it's kind of unfortunate because, you know, whether it's small or big, you will have some wins. I mean, you'll have, you're going to also have some losses. But with those wins, you're going to progress so much further than you, you know, could have imagined. I actually, I was listening to um, this speaker. I forgot his name, but he was talking about how, like, when you fall, even if you fall flat on your face, you still move forward. You know what I mean? Like when you fall on your face, like your face is still ahead of your feet. And I just thought that was so interesting because even though you're, you know, embarrassing yourself and you're literally on your face, you're still further than you were before. And when you get up, you can kind of see where you
1: fell. I love that because (laughs) it kind of also reminds me of another like quote that's pretty popular. It's like, it doesn't matter how slow you're going it just matters that you don't stop um that's like obviously like a cliche kind of thing but it's it's in the same vein as as long as you fall face forward you're still going forward yeah um, yeah so i think that's a good thing to keep in the back of your mind like yes of course you're going to have roadblocks in the road have trouble getting your good habits up and your bad habits down but ultimately You know your lap it's cool like another quote is lapping everyone on the couch you know so you know giving yourself that kind of room for not necessarily giving up just like maybe some um steps back in your in your path is okay but just remember at the end of the day that you still have to keep going forward still have to push yourself
0: right exactly one of the last things that we wanted to mention that successful people avoid is not listening to others a lot of successful figures are actually social butterflies. Um they know the importance of interacting with people and networking with people and you know getting to know people from other walks of life as well. So they're always reaching out and they're always willing to hear other people's ideas. There's only so many like novel things you can create from your own brain and I just feel like the more minds you put together, you it's you can't even imagine how many different things you can come up with together. So they know and value the importance of being a good listener because it helps them maintain close and valuable relationships. So they avoid the habit of staying in the corner, their introvert side or whatnot. I'm sure you know many of them, this doesn't mean that all of them are extroverts, but they do know not to give in to that because for the sake of their success and for their goals, they do know the importance of expanding out.
2: Yeah. And I also want to say, like, as a fellow introvert, I feel like for introverts, um, you can be a very good listener, and you know, sometimes that's all it takes. I think when I look into you know my society and the people that I met, I it's very hard to find good listeners these days who really cares about what you have to say and really wants to know where you've been, what you've been through. Because honestly, listening is hard. Listening is when you put your thoughts and feelings on hold so that the other person can feel heard. And I love, love, love this habit because when you get into the habit of becoming a good listener, it kind of opens like, this guy sound a little cliche, but you kind of open each other's hearts. And I think this is so important and so very rare these days to find a good listener. It's not just for the other person to speak but it's also an opportunity for you to learn and absorb. A lot of successful people know how to listen to others in a very humble manner.
0: Right, absolutely. I think we hit a lot of great points today. I personally learned so much, and I hope you learned just as much as I did about what a habit really is biologically, what's going on in your brain, why they happen, and why they're so hard to break. But we get that, and that's why we wanted to share with you and do some research for you on how to break these habits, just some tips and tricks from our own lives, even though we're still walking the same exact walk because you know that's everyone. And we also hope you learned a lot from successful figures themselves. How did they get there? What are they doing? What are they not doing? This episode was packed with a lot of information, And if you haven't already, we invite you to listen to all of our previous episodes. Stay safe and we'll catch you guys next time on Crest Talk.